21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. What do you mean you were robbed? Did somebody hold you up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, broken in your flat. Well, how much is missing? Yeah. Yeah. You are by transcription in the muscle room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right. I'll send the officers over to take a look. Yes, ma'am. All right. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my day tour, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. At 11.30 a.m., after patrolling the precinct for two hours in sector car number two, I instructed the operator, Patrolman Coley, to drive me downtown to the 6th Division, where I had an appointment with my immediate superior, Inspector Edward McBride, who wanted to see me on an urgent matter. On arrival, I instructed Patrolman Coley to wait in the car and walked up the stairs to the division office. Captain Kennelly. Arnold, is uh, Inspector McBride in his office? No, sir, I'm sorry. He's stuck at a meeting at the borough office. Oh? Yeah, he rang up here and told me to get in touch with you, Captain. I called your desk officer. He said you were on your way. That was a couple of minutes ago. Okay. Inspector McBride said to tell you he'd be in touch with you by phone later on. All right. Is uh, Lieutenant Joyce around? No, sir. He's out on patrol. Well, uh, look, I'll tell you what. Uh, excuse me, Captain. Yeah, go ahead. Sixth Division, Patrolman Arnold. Sergeant Waters is the 21st. Did Captain Kennelly get in there yet? Yes, Sergeant. He is. Hold on. Okay. See you, Captain. Oh? Thanks. Captain Kennelly? Sergeant Waters, Captain. Yeah? You know that apartment house thesis has robbed us blind? Yeah, just a second, Sergeant. Arnold. Yes, sir? Did you hold that typing a second? Oh, I'm sorry, Captain. Yes, Sergeant. What is it? The apartment house thief who's been robbing the ground out from under it. Yeah, did we get him? What do you mean? They chased him up a tree. A real tree, Captain. He's up there about 20 feet. They couldn't talk him down. I jumped to the emergency truck and a ladder. Well, are they sure it's the boy who's been giving us all the trouble? Well, he had the window washers tail and the jimmy, Captain. Couldn't be anyone else. Well, where is this? In the rear courtyard of a converted brownstone at 784 East 67, Captain. I thought you might want to roll on it. I do. Thanks, Sergeant. I'll, uh, I'll talk to Inspector McBride later on. Yes, sir. Will you be at the station house? Yes. As soon as we get a burglar down out of a tree. Yes, sir. I'll tell him. I wonder what kind of tree. I heard.
hurried downstairs out onto the street and instructed Patrolman Coley to make the run to 784 East 67th Street. If the man in the tree was, in fact, the thief we sought, he was responsible for no less than 32 daytime burglaries in the 21st Precinct alone. On each, the thief had operated in exactly the same manner. He would carry a wash pail, rags, and a chamois into an apartment building, walk upstairs ostensibly to solicit a window cleaning job. As a result, no one could carry a water pail on the street without being stopped for questioning at least once in a block. But the burglaries went on, all committed by the same man using the same double-pronged Jimmy Claw to force open the door. When we arrived at the East 67th Street address, two sector cars, the sergeant's car, the detective squad car, and the emergency truck were parked in the block. I walked through the ground-level hallway of the converted brownstone toward the rear courtyard. High up in the branches of the large tree in the center of the courtyard, I saw the suspect. Hello, Matt. Captain. Only tree in the precinct, Captain. He's got to find it. Well, as long as he's up in the tree, he's not going to rob any flats. Yes, sir. You got something there. Uh, look, we'll stay here all day and all night. You better come down. Get up on that branch, sir. See if you can reach. No, you don't. Come up to the island. Stay down from there. All right. Don't press him. He'll come down. We've got lots of time. Press that net around here. All right. Who, uh, who jumped in, man? Jacoby and Cahill on sector car four, Captain. Well, looks like you get some sleep now. Yes, sir. If we get them down out of there by night. What do you say? Aren't you getting hungry? You want to come down and get something to eat? No. I'm not hungry. Keep those stacks away from What are you going to do? Well, he'll come down, man. I uh, I want to talk to Jacoby. Yes, sir. Walk that line around the street there. Hello, Jacoby. Good work. Uh, hello, Captain. Thanks. Except I wish I got my hands on him before he hit the tree. Oh, that guy can climb like a monkey. He was way up there before I could shinny up to the first branch. Now, why don't you get some sense? Is uh, that what he was carrying? Yes, sir. He dropped the tail in the hall there when we were shaking him through. He must have just come out of some flat, Captain. Under the chamois and the rags, there was a lady's purse in a tail. $490 in it. That's a lot of money. Yes, sir. Listen, tell me something, will you? Anybody missing $490 is going to let us know about it. How'd you happen to jump in? Well, sir, I was riding his recorder with Cahill. We turned into 67th Street, and I saw this guy walking down the street carrying a tail and with this, this Jimmy stuck in his belt. Mm-hmm. Well, I said to Cahill, I said, there's another window washer, so he said, let's go over What do you talk. say? I get tired of sitting up there. You want to come down? Captain, we stopped the car. Uh, come on down. We're not going to play games with you all day. I'm not coming down. You keep those guys away from me. Keep them away, that's all. Yes, Kobe. Well, as soon as the boy spotted the car stopping and me in the uniform, he took off. He ran down the block, the tail trailing behind him, and me after him, and Cagle after me. Mm-hmm. So he ran into this building. There was a woman taking a baby carriage out the front door. I lost a little ground because the lady in the buggy were blocking my way by this time. Anyway, he ran straight through the hall and out the back. Uh-huh. The only place he could go was up the tree. That's where he went. I almost got hold of his foot, but he, he threw the jimmy at me and hit me across the arm. I pulled back, and by the time I reached for him again, he got the toehold on the first branch. Oh, I see. 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 Oh, I
Mrs. Brighter? Yes, sir. We've seen her. She's right here. I'm calling in from her living room. Well? She denies it's her purse or her money or her anything. Is it? Well, I think so, Lieutenant, but she says no. All right. I'm going to Metropolitan Hospital. I'll stop there on the way. Wait for me. Yes, sir. What's the matter? Captain, this boy is right for 33 burglaries in this precinct alone. The way it looks, I'm going to have trouble making even one case against him. Well, that's the way it goes, Matt. Some days, it's hard to earn a dollar. With Lieutenant King, I drove to 792 East 67th Street, a tenement building that had been converted to small apartments in the middle rent bracket. We parked the car and walked to the third floor. At apartment 3B, Jimmy marks were plainly visible on both the jam and on the door itself, right at the lock. This door was forced open, Captain. Yeah. And today. You know, if that $490 was mine, I'd identify it in a hurry. Oh, I know people who'd identify it, even if it wasn't there. Hello, Lieutenant. Right, Captain Kennelly? Hello, Deluca. See the Jimmy Marks, Lieutenant? Yeah. See the man. Just a second. Yes, sir. What did the shoemaker say? He didn't have to say much, Lieutenant. Her name was on the other half of the ticket. The one attached to the shoes she left yesterday. Her name and address. She goes to the hardware store? We didn't have to. We got the address from the shoemaker. Well, does she still deny that the person, the money, are hers? Yes, sir. Well, how does she account for the Jimmy Marks on the door? Well, she says she never noticed them. What do you think the story is, Lut? Beats me, Lieutenant. He just sits there and lies. All right, let's talk to him. Yes, sir. One lie after another. Howard. Lieutenant? Okay. Howard. This is Brider. This is Lieutenant King, my commanding officer, and Captain Kennelly, commanding officer of the 21st Precinct. How do you do? Mrs. Brider. What is your first name, Mrs. Brider? Rose. You live here with Mr. Brider? Yes. What's his first name? Philip. Is he at work? Yes. Where does he work? For the Board of Education. What does he do for the Board of Education? In the office, an accountant. You live here alone, you and your husband? Yes, all alone. No children? A married daughter in the Army. She's in the Army? A whack? No, her husband's a soldier in California. She's with him. Oh, I see. Were you out of the house this morning? Yes, to 34th Street. The stores are having sales. I needed seats. What time did you come home? Twelve o'clock, quarter of. Did you notice the apartment had been entered? No. Didn't you see that the door had been forced open? No. Did you notice a purse containing $490 was missing? I had my purse with me. You've got more than one purse, haven't you? Yes. The detective showed you a purse containing $490, didn't he? Yes, it's not mine. We had a receipt for a pair of shoes you left to be repaired yesterday. The shoe repairman says he knows you. He remembers you. Your name's on the other half of the ticket. I don't care. The purse is not mine. Neither is the money. Look, Mrs. Brider, I uh, don't know what makes you reluctant to identify your own property. I don't care what makes you reluctant. That money in the purse are yours. I know it, and you know it. They're not mine. I've got a burglar who's been robbing us blind. He got into this apartment and 32 more the same way. I don't care what your problems are. I've got mine. I've got to keep that boy off the street, and you're going to help me do it, whether you want to or not. It's not mine. It's not. You make up your mind to tell the truth about that property, or I'm going to ask the district attorney to hold you as a material witness. You know what that means, don't you? I don't care. Well, you will care. 
means you get put under bail, and if you can't make the bail, you get locked up. I'm not kidding about this, Mrs. Bridehill. It's the way it's going to be. Now, how about it? Is that your property? No. All right, Howard. Take her in the station house. Yes, Notify her husband. No. Maybe he can help us. No, don't call my husband. He don't know anything about it. At least maybe he won't lie. Don't call him, please. All right. Want to tell me the truth? Is that your property? Is it? No. All right, Mrs. Brighton. If you're not willing to help me, I'm certainly not going out of my way to help you. Take her in, Howard. Lieutenant King, Detective DeLuca, and I left the apartment as Detective Howard prepared to take Mrs. Brighton to the station house. We drove to the Queensboro Bridge and rode halfway across to the elevator which took our car and us to Welfare Island, on which Metropolitan Hospital is situated. At the hospital, we located the ward to which the suspect, Alvin Board, had been taken and walked down the long corridor toward the room. Through the open door, we could see Patrolman Jacoby seated alongside the bed. That guy took a fall that far and wound up with only a broken arm. I'll never know. Maybe he fell on his head. An honest citizen would have been killed. All right. Let's go in. Yes, sir. Hello, Jacoby. Captain. Lieutenant King. Hi, Jacoby. How's the patient? Complaining. What's the trouble, Alvin? This is better than jail, isn't it? Doctor's giving me a hard time poking around with needles. Well, Captain, the floor nurse came and said Sergeant Waters phoned. The message is that Inspector McBride returned your call and wants you to ring him up at the vision as soon as you get here. All right. I'll be back right away, man. Take your time, Captain. Well, Alvin, how do you feel? Lousy. That'll teach you not to climb trees. There was only one place you could go that was down. But I hoped I could sprout wings and fly away. Wings won't do you any good, Alvin. I got your cage all picked out for you. Oh, yeah. See these? Yeah. These are squeals you're clearing for me. 32 and the one today is 33. Who said I'm clearing? I do. You're clearing my 33 and the squad commanders from the 17th, 19th, and 23rd are coming up here. And you'll clear about 50 or 60 more. What do kept me? Clear conscience, Alvin. I don't need no clear conscience. Listen, you've been robbing us blind for six weeks. You're hooked now. Make it easy on yourself. Let me tell the district attorney you try to help me. Why should I help you? What'd you do for me? I didn't do anything for you, Alvin. You want me to pin a medal on you? Then why should I help you? Because we got you good, that's why. I don't see how you got me. All I did was fall out of trees. Ah, look, don't be a wise guy. You dropped that pail in the jimmy. There was $490 in the lady's purse in the pail. We were not talking to the lady. There are marks on the door where you jimmied it. So? So you're hooked on that one. After taking a look at your record, no judge in his right mind would hand you less than 10 years. I don't know whether I'm hooked on anything. I'll wait to see what you got. We've got you. We've got the $490. We've got the purse. We've got the lady it belonged to. And we've got the jimmy you used to get in her door. What else do we need? Well, you must need something. If you did, you wouldn't be here talking to me. I came here to talk to you about those other 32. Well, come around again after I see what you got with the lady with the $490. If you got something, I'll talk to you, maybe. You can't blow hot and cold, Alvin. It's got to be one way or the other. For you, maybe, but not for me. Alvin, in all my life, I never met such a miserable human being. 
Lying there with a broken arm and a bad ankle, looking ten years straight in the face. He won't tell me the right time of day. What's in it for me? That's all I want to know. You guys come around here wanting something. I don't have to talk to you. I don't, I'm not going to. Why should I, huh? Alvin, for six weeks before I met you, I didn't like you. Because of you, I haven't spent one evening a week at home. My wife is boiling mad. My kids don't even recognize me. That's all right. For a cop, I'm a compassionate guy. Anybody that's in trouble has my sympathy. It's always been my attitude in this job. But as far as you're concerned, Alvin, I don't even feel sorry you fell out of the tree. While I was out phoning, unsuccessfully trying to reach the inspector, Lieutenant King continued to question the burglary suspect, Alvin Board, for several minutes. He got no place. When I returned, I talked to him in regard to his fall from the tree. He confirmed by a statement what I had witnessed. No police officer was near him. He stepped on a dead branch and it broke. With Lieutenant King and Detective DeLuca, I left the hospital and returned to the car. When we arrived at the station house, the detectives went straight upstairs. I signed the blotter and asked Sergeant Waters on TS to try once more to reach Inspector McBride at Division. The inspector was still out on patrol. I looked over the reports and communications that had accumulated. Then I went upstairs to see what progress Lieutenant King was making toward getting a presentable case of burglary against Alvin Boyd. Yes, sir, Captain. Lieutenant King in his office? Yes, sir. He's talking with our Mrs. Brighter. Go right in. Thanks. Well, where was it stolen? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Captain Kennelly. Get in, Captain. Yeah, I understand. Captain? You remember Mrs. Brighter? Yes. She doesn't believe the court will detain her as a material witness if she continues to be uncooperative. You still say that purse from the $490 don't belong to you, Mrs. Brider? They don't. I said it and I say it again, they don't. I think it's quite obvious that they do, Mrs. Brider. No, they don't. Also, it must be a pretty serious matter that's making you deny ownership of nearly $500. I'm sure you don't like the idea of losing $500 any more than the next person. It's not mine. What are you going to do? Is your husband on the way, Mrs. Brider? Yes, he's coming. Well, I'm sure that he'll take one look at the purse and the pair of shoes at the shoemaker and recognize them as yours. Is your husband involved in this in any way? No. Are you trying to conceal the fact from him that you had nearly $500 in your pocketbook? Is that the trouble? Well, he'll know it as soon as he gets here, Mrs. Brider. Because that's the first thing Lieutenant King is going to tell him. Isn't that right, Matt? Yes, sir. Now, if you tell us what the trouble is, why you deny the purse so the money is yours, maybe we can help you. You know, we get a lot of people in here with all kinds of troubles. And usually things work out all right. You didn't want your husband to know about the money. Isn't that right? Yes. I didn't want him to know. Well, didn't you think he'd find out? I didn't think so. I cashed some war bonds. They were in my name from when I was working during the war. 
It was your money, wasn't it? Why couldn't your husband know about it? He'd leave me. He'd know what it was for. He'd walk right out of the house. He said he would. He said he would over and over. That's because you took your own money? It was to send my daughter in California. Oh. She's pregnant. She's going to have a baby and he don't know. Why not? She's only 18. She was 17 when she ran away and got married to the soldier. Phil was mad. He was so mad. He said if I ever wrote to her, sent her money or anything, he'd leave. He'd walk right out, right out of the house. He doesn't know he's going to be a grandfather? No. Where did you cash the bond? At the bank yesterday. Why didn't you get a check? I should have. I know I should have. I didn't think of it. I was going to the post office this afternoon to buy money orders. When I came home, I saw that the door was broken. I ran in the bedroom and the drawer was open. My other purse was gone. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why. I don't want him to go. I don't want him to leave. Without him, I got nothing. I decided not to say anything. I made up my mind. Yes, the local lieutenant. Come in. Mr. Brider is here. All right, ask him to come in. Yes, sir. Mr. Brider, the lieutenant wants to see you. Let me tell him. Let me tell him myself. All right, if you want. In there, Mr. Brider. Oh, what's the matter? What's the trouble? Philip, you're going to be a grandfather. Me? Adele is going to have a baby. That's the trouble you're in? That's why you're at the police station? That's... That's wonderful. You're glad. Well, why didn't you tell me? What did you wait for? I thought you know what you said. I was afraid. Well, as soon as I said it, I was sorry as soon as I said it. Every time. When, where, how is she? In California. You should have told me sooner. A baby. A grandbaby. Come in. Captain Canelli, Inspector McBride is ringing up here for you. Oh, but why are you here? Let's take it out here, Captain. Yeah, sure, I want Why? Well, Phil, I... Oh, uh, excuse me. There's nothing wrong. You, you, you're sure there's nothing wrong? Take it on that extension, Captain. 21st Precinct, Captain Canelli. Sergeant Waters, Captain. I'm sorry the inspector rang in for you. But his man down there got on the phone and said the inspector just had a call from the chief and left to go downtown. Okay. He didn't call you back at the first opportunity. Yeah. All right, Sergeant. Thanks. Well, everything's okay in there, Captain. Guess my trouble's over. You're lucky, Matt. I can't even find out what my troubles are. Twenty-first precinct, Sergeant Waters. Yeah. Well, what kind of a bomb? Wait a minute, just a second. Take it easy. In the art gallery where? Yeah. 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 Did you find a bomb? Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, how many people? Yeah. And so it goes. All right. Around the clock, I through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring. Or the brass ring can catch anyone. 21st Precinct Transcribed. A factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly. Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Harold 
Stone as Sergeant Waters. Featured in tonight's cast were Martin Blaine, Ethel Everett, Frank Moss, Larry Haynes, and William Johnstone. Written and produced by Stanley Niss. Art Hannah speaking.